Cult. Has anybody ever heard of Cloud Cult? couple of us, Minnesota, great, great Minnesota band. And that artist and another artist do live paintings like that during the show. It's phenomenal. Um, little plug, June 21st, they'll actually be in Mankato playing. Um, and it gets us into our series in a really cool way as we think about how God has created and, wi- created and wired us to be. Before we do that, a couple of announcements. Um, one is... On May 27th, we have a congregational meeting, and if you want to see, there is a vote for a couple of positions on the nominating committee that need to be filled, and um, we will approve our budget. There's an agenda. All of that is at the information desk. Please feel free. Uh, We welcome you to check that out. If you are new around Crossview, and church meetings are always sort of a weird thing. You don't know what to think about them. Um, It's just like a family meeting. Uh, The way we are structured, we have three of them a year. We have one in January, one October, one in May. They all have a specific purpose to try and keep us organized and moving ahead with the mission that God has called us to. So if you're a member, and if not, if you just want to see how we function, please, please come out to that on May 27th. And then today, we are starting a new sermon series called uh, Wired. And the whole idea of this, it's going to go uh, for the next four weeks, actually five weeks, we're going to take a little break. Steve Weens is going to come back again. Um, but we are going to talk about how God has wired, or another word you're going to hear me say often is shaped, how he's made you to be in the world around you. In a book I'm going to refer to numerous times, it's uh, not by Rick Warren, but it's from his church. Um, it's called Shape. And at the end of the service, I'll refer to the acronym of SHAPE and break it down. And we're going to lean into it in some really practical ways. Um, I ask you to be around June 1 and June 15 for sure. Um, We're actually going to take some next steps and say, what does this mean for our lives? Um, Here's the deal. At Crossview Covenant Church, we have the same mission Jesus gave his disciples 2,000 years ago. We are trying to make disciples, right? Right? And some love, we, we can get a little fans. I mean, we're just trying to make disciples, to point people towards Jesus for their lives to be changed. And we believe that not only coming to follow Jesus, putting your faith and trust in Jesus, but we believe as your life is framed around Jesus, if you become more and more who God made you to be, you can actually make a difference in the world around you. You can be an agent of change wherever you do life, all the different places, from church to your neighborhood to the city to your workplace to your school, whatever it might be. And the more we know about ourselves, the more we can be that. There was a book a few years ago by a guy named John Ortberg, who I would encourage you to read everything he puts out. John Ortberg wrote a book called The Me I Want to Be, which sounds like Narcissism 101. Um, the Me I Want to Be, and he used this phrase. It's a great book. He uses this this term in there that I love. And he, he talks about we, be, we become who God made us to be. We become agents of change. We become a force out there for Christ when we become you weir That's a great word, isn't it? you weir Don't ask me to spell it. Spell check didn't, didn't fix it on my thing. But when we become exactly who God made us to be, then in the places we do life, we truly can make a difference in the name of Christ. And we do it in a different way. When we submit to the Holy Spirit and we enter that, we do it in a different way. A couple weeks ago, um, like 2.45, our girls get home at 3. At 2.45, we had that torrential downpour. Do you remember it if you're a parent? And on our street, the, uh, the water came down so fast and so quickly that it covered the street. So our girls get home, get off the bus, and what's the first thing they do? Backpack, thrown right in the front door, shoes off, running to the puddle. And what are they doing? 
jumping in the puddle and laughing in this joyous moment. And it made me think, what if we as followers of Jesus Christ began to function in that way? Not to, not to say there's not struggle, not hardship, not, that, that's part of life, I get it. But what if we became so us that we lived in such a joyful way that the celebration was splashing everywhere around us? That's what we hope for this series. We hope it makes a true impact on who you and who we are as a community. It's funny, one of the questions I get often is, uh, and pastors in general, I think it's a common question is, hey, can we sit down? I want to talk about what God's will for my life is. Probably the number one question. And my number one answer, the, the, the big picture answer I give everybody, God's will for your life is to become so completely how God made you by the power of the Spirit, by the grace of Jesus Christ, to become you in every place you do life, right? That's God's will for all of us. Disciples of Jesus Christ in our normal, everyday life, making a change in the name of Jesus Christ. Rick Warren puts it this way. He said, instead of trying to reshape yourself like somebody else, let me say that again. Instead of trying to reshape yourself like somebody else, which a lot of us, we spend the majority of our lives doing that, wanting to be something that we will never be, he says this. You should celebrate the way God has shaped or wired you. And I believe if we can begin that journey, we're not going to solve it in the next four or five weeks, but if we can begin that journey, it will not only bring you joy, it will bring the kingdom of God through you in every place in which you inhabit and do life. Let me pray before we jump in the word. God, pray that you would take these three verses, these powerful, beautiful verses. I pray by the power of your spirit that they would speak words of conviction and words of life into each one in this room. For this in your name, amen. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it was just read. I'm gonna read it again. It's one of those uh, passages that many of you, like me, probably memorized verses eight and nine. I had, in the King James Version, I can quote Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 again and again and again, but verse 10 is part of the passage. So we need to look at all three verses. It says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Here it is. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We break this down a little bit before we, we sort of take it into heart. It's interesting, in Romans and Galatians and Philippians, Paul uses this word often called justification. And the idea of justification has to do with people belonging to God's family and how they belong. And the way that we're justified, we're justified by faith. We see that through those books time and time and time again. But it's interesting, in Ephesians, Paul talks about salvation which is a different thing. Paul talks about salvation, which is about people being rescued from what they deserve, people being rescued from sin and death. It's intriguing. The responsibility of salvation is God's, and it comes by grace, and that's what this passage is trying to get across to us. Paul says that they're saved by grace, and it's through faith. And that faith is not something we can do to become acceptable to God, 
And that's the point of verse 9. There is nothing we can do to achieve acceptance by God. If this is your first time at Crossview, those are the most hopeful words you'll ever hear. There is nothing I can do, there is nothing you can do to achieve acceptance from God. It is completely God's grace. It's the grace of God that compels faith. Faith is important, but it's always compelled by grace. That's the point of those first couple verses. It says we're saved by grace. It's intriguing. There's almost this paradox in it. It's like we cannot work to be saved, right? If, if you've not been around the whole church thing a long time or never, this is so important to understand that we are all, the story of God is we are all broken sinners in all different ways. We are cracked. And there's a loving God who came down, who died and rose again for our sins to make us anew, as it says in this passage. And it's that grace, when we hear about that grace, it's the grace that it compels and invites us to put our faith in that thing. And all are invited to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? That's the message that we shout, that we tell everyone. But here it is. So we cannot work to be saved, but we're saved for good works. It's, it's, it's intriguing. Sometimes we mix it up and we, we live sort of in this unhealthy way on the other side of it. But we cannot be saved, but we're saved for good works. And Paul goes on for the rest of this book to break that down, to talk about why that is so important and what the good works are. In the second half of chapter 2, the way that these good works, that, that grace that has compelled faith in their life, the good works that they're going to begin to live out is actually racial reconciliation. There's reconciliation between the Jews and the Gentiles. It's as big as any racial reconciliation of the last hundred years. That the grace of God not only compels faith, but that faith then creates a masterpiece and compels them to live out good works in a different way. And they would enter into relationships that they did not enter into before. The good works of racial reconciliation. In chapter 4, he talks about the idea that the saints, the believers in these churches, needed to be equipped for the work of ministry. It's the same Greek word. That we, all of us, need to be equipped so that we understand how we are wired and made so that we can enter out and do those good works that God has for us. Later on in chapter 4, he talks about the good work of speaking the truth in love. The good work of forgiveness, the good work of dealing with our anger, the good work of only saying things to other people that build them up. In chapter 5 and 6, he talks about the good work of marriage, the good work of parenting and being a child, and the good work of being in the workplace as a follower of Jesus Christ. It was to affect everything that they did. Often we think of salvation as this little Jesus and me thing and we put it in a little box and it's about Sundays and maybe some other times. That's not at all what Scripture teaches. The grace that compels faith should influence and be about every area in which we do life. And here's verse 10. Here's where I want to sit with this morning. We are God's masterpiece. So that we're created anew in Christ Jesus and King Jesus so that we can do the good works planned long ago. This word masterpiece, it's an interesting word, poema. And in the Septuagint, has anybody heard of Septuagint? 
Not too many people. There's no reason you should. A couple of people. Uh, Septuagint, I learned about this only in seminary, was the Greek writing of the Old Testament. So they needed a translation of the Old Testament in the first century into the words in which they spoke. And so there was this Greek translation called the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint, the word that's used for God's creation is poema. So he says, you are God's good work. What do Genesis 1 and 2 say? For six days, God would create and you say, it is good. God creates man and says, it is very good. That God would look at you, at each one of you, and say, you are my masterpiece. You are my created beauty. You are a painting that no one else can measure up to. You are my good work. You are my masterpiece. And you are made as a masterpiece, created anew in Christ. Why? For the good work. And the, work, the word for work is just a normal, everyday work word. There's nothing special about this other than to say you were created in the image of God as a masterpiece. God looks at you and says, very good And you're supposed to live that out in the normal, everyday places in which you do and inhabit life. Every place, every place that you do life, you are to be the masterpiece that God has created you to be. I think the promise in this passage is the last words. You're created as a masterpiece. Well, let's go back to verses 8 and 9. That God's grace, God's saving grace compels faith. And as we understand that faith, we begin to see that we are made as a masterpiece and we're to live that out in every area in which we do life. And then the last words is that it was planned for us long ago. Friends, please listen to me, please. Every person in here, you are not an accident. You're not a mistake. You're not a piece of property. You're not what a magazine says about you. You're not what has happened to you. You are God's masterpiece. Amen? You're God's masterpiece. Created anew in Christ for the good works planned long ago. I think if we want to enter into this, and I think as we step into this series, there's a couple of important steps. The first is this. I think the first step is to repent of the ways in which we see or we allow others to see us. I think if you are going to see the masterpiece that God has created you to be, the first step is repentance. To name out loud how you see yourself or how, you other, how others see you. We let so many other, other things name us, Right? We let these cultural things name us. We let our past name us. We let all these other things other than Jesus Christ name who we are. And this passage invites us to say, you, by the grace of God, which compels faith, you were a masterpiece. Now I invite you, all of you, no matter if you've been a Christian for decades or if you've been a Christian for days, to repent of the different voices that name you, of arrogance, of pride, of power, of shame, of guilt, of you should be this, you're not quite good enough, this happened to you so that defines you. 
Repent doesn't say that those, those, those things aren't, aren't realities and voices still trying to sneak in. Repent means we begin to turn towards Jesus Christ and let the words and truth of Jesus Christ name who we are. Often we think of repenting as always turning away from something. Repenting is turning towards. Repenting is turning towards trusting in all that Jesus Christ is and has done and has created you to be. There is no other you. Second thing is this. I think we repent and then we receive. We receive and live from grace. This is your first time at Crossview and you're wondering out what the whole church thing is, what the whole Christian thing is. The word grace could not better define it. There's a loving God who sees our brokenness and sin and rebellion and shame and heartache. And the loving God came and died and rose again. And it's the power of that story. When we hear it and it moves towards us, it's all about grace and it invites you to trust in that living God. And for those of us who have made that step, it's an ongoing journey, right? It's an ongoing journey. That again and again and again and again, we receive that good grace that only God gives. We can't earn it. Can't earn it. We simply receive it. And then here's the last thing. And this, this will give you a little overview of where we're going, but it's so important. I invite you to write that down. Repent of the ways in which you see or you let others see you. Receive daily God's grace. Receive daily God's grace. And here's the third thing. Commit to finding your unique shape. Here's what I believe. I believe that we as a local church community, if we can find out and live into how God has wired and shaped us to be, we can make a difference in each other's lives and we can make a difference in Mankato and we can make a difference in the world. But a big part of it is finding out who you are, not who somebody else says you are, not who you think you should be, but who God says you are, the masterpiece that God created you to be. So the next few weeks, we're going to go over this acronym called SHAPE. This is from Rick Warren. I've used it for probably a couple decades now. It's absolutely beautiful. It's holistic. If you get all of it, it can change the way you see your work. It'll change the way you live in your neighborhood. It'll change how you parent. It'll change how you go to school. It'll change how you come to church. So the first one is this, S. It talks about spiritual gifts, a special set of abilities that God has given you to share his love and serve others. And spiritual gifts, are, are the, 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 it's a little bit mystical, but it's absolutely beautiful. We get a spiritual gift or spiritual gifts when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And spiritual gifts are very much for how we do life together, how we do the one another's of the New Testament, how we serve and love one another. So we're going to find out what our spiritual gifts are. Some of you know a majority of you probably don't know what your spiritual gifts are. So after spiritual gifts, we're going to talk about our heart. Heart is defined as this, the special passion God has given you so that you can glorify him on earth. On Friday, I was talking with a Crossview person who's about ready to retire. He was saying unemployed, but it's actually retired. And uh, it was interesting to hear this guy talk. And he was talking about, now that he's going to have more free time, some of the things that he hoped to do and the differences that he wanted to make. And I saw this gleam in his eyes and this hope, and it was his heart, it was his passion. 
Like he was going to be able to lean in and make a difference in places and live that out in a really cool way. I believe we all have passions that God has given us. And they're supposed to be used to make a difference in the world. A is this, abilities. Abilities are the set of talents that God gave you when you were born, which God wants you to use to make an impact for him. Your normal abilities. I sat here and I'm watching Jill play piano and I'm sitting there thinking, I want to play piano. But there's a profound truth that God has laid on my heart when I was in grade school and took three years of piano. I don't have the ability. I may want it all day long, but I'm never going to be a good piano player. Every month somebody would get this like little Mozart thing. I got it last like everybody else received one and there's like, okay, now we've got to give it to the guy who can't really play, but there you go. Good job, Brad. Abilities. What are your abilities? What are you good at? And then we're going to go into our personality, the special way God wired you to navigate life and fulfill your unique kingdom purpose. Um, this is an important one. One of our council members was sharing a story and he talked about um, sort of learning more and more about his personality as an introvert and how that makes a difference in the way he serves. He's like, I would try to be the upfront guy, the sort of, I'm out there and it, it just drained me. And I found out that I'm really good just serving behind the scenes and it gives me life. Last, week, last one we're going to look at is experience. Those parts of our past, both positive and negative, which God intends to use in great ways. Um, and this sometimes is a tough one. It digs up things that, that maybe are painful, their past experiences. Um, but often those are the things God wants to use in the most beautiful way for his glory. And there's somebody, just like God has made you uniquely you, you, you couldn't be more you God wants to use that you earness. now I've added an S to it, to make an impact in somebody else's life. Max Lucado puts it this way in his book, Cure for the Common Life. He says, Da Vinci painted one Mona Lisa. Beethoven created one fifth symphony and God made one version of you. You're it. You're the only one. You're the only you there is. And if we don't get you, we don't get you. You're the only shot we have at you. You can do something no one else can do in a fashion no one else can do it. You're more than a coincidence of chromosomes and heredity, more than an assemblage of somebody else's lineage. You are uniquely made. But can you be anything you want to be? If you are uniquely made, now stop and think about this. If you're uniquely made, can you really be anything you want to be? If you don't have the sense that takes care, care of numbers, can you be an accountant? If you don't have a love for dirt, can you be a farmer? If you don't have an appreciation and devotion to kids, can you really be a teacher? Well, you can be an unhappy and unsatisfied one. You can be one, listen to this, you can be one of the 87% of the workforce that doesn't like their work. One of the 80% of people that says, I don't use my talents on a daily basis. You can be a statistic. And here's the closing. I love this. Can you be anything you want to be? I don't think so. But can you be everything God wants you to be? I do think so. And you do become that by discovering your uniqueness. And you discover the masterpiece that you were created to be in Jesus Christ. 
by receiving daily the grace that is offered to you. Father, I pray, Lord. I pray for each one individually. I pray for us as a community as we step into this new series. I pray that you would show us, show each person who you made us to be. God, if there's any that are here wondering about who you are, I pray that they would, with clarity, know that there is a God of grace that invites them to trust to turn away from everything else and to trust in you. And I pray the rest of us, God, that we would get a glimpse of that grace on a daily basis so that we can more and more be who you made us to be. In your name, amen. amen.